welcome to the Peace at Home podcast. I'm your co-host, Sinan. And I'm Jamie. And I'm Ben. And our intro music is by Jordan from Com Radio. Go check out Com Radio. They're very cool and good. There you go. I remembered. I can't, I can't believe I was listening to the Praxis Cast episode. And I can't believe my bad memory was attacked so viciously <laughs> in that episode. I was, I was just like, is, is this episode about my bad memory? No. It's an official Praxis Cast bit now. That I have a terrible memory. Not to mention that Jordan did the music. (laughs) (laughs) No, not people are not saying it enough, in my opinion. I might have to get Jordan to make some other music for me, but or or I'll have to get Elijah to make some music for me. But I'll need to figure out who's what the vibe I want for sort of background music for YouTube videos or an intro. I might get like a really fancy intro graphic made of me like sticking my middle finger up at something. I don't know. <laughs> and you want to get one of those like peak YouTube like intros where oh, like explosions yes. and rotating yeah, yeah, yeah. letters and that. I was thinking like, mm. you know, like my my avatar, not the Che avatar, the the new one, the second gen avatar. I'd have that like spin into the screen or something yeah. like that. Have it be like a <laughs> well, like the like... James Bond theme plays for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'd get I'd get like flagged in a check for that, but. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's that's been your that's been your life update from us. Um, we are talking about. I've entitled this episode provisionally. I sleep in a big bed with six arrows, even though <laughs> even even though the six arrows are realistically only going to be a third of the episode. Uh, well, probably a bit more than a third because the last one is spoiler alert. Atatruk dies at the end. Oh, rip. Yeah. Sorry. Ruined um, it for me. That's yeah. that's if we get to it, really. Can't I mean, believe realistic... it's just want to run to you. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, that was effectively the reaction of the. Anyway, um... <laughs> so we have a choice. We can choose where to start. So we can either start with Kurdish rebellions, the Ooh. Six Arrows, or we can start at really hilarious attempts to do liberal democracy. Oh, well, let's start Ooh. with the rebellions. I like a good yeah. rebellion. Avid listeners will remember. The Sheikh Syed Rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I would hope my co hosts remember that because we did an entire episode basically about Sheikh Syed. It, it rings a bell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have a history in the early Republic of Kurdish people organizing and revolting against the early Kemalist state. If you want to know why that's a thing that keeps happening, look up the last episode because it was the Reform Factory Part 2. There's a lot of stuff like Turkification going on, you know, Kurdish people. There was a report done after the Sheikh Said Rebellion where they were like, you know, Kurdish people, they shouldn't have certain jobs, certain government jobs above a certain rank. Which, given that, like, given how many of the Republican people's party... I can't say that party name. What the fuck (laughs) is going on? (laughs) Third time's a charm. Yeah, let's go. Given how many of the Republican people's parties members were of Kurdish descent. That would have been a surprise for them to find yeah. out that they weren't allowed to have certain jobs. Apparently, Ismet Inonu, one of these people. Oh. So, it w- the man who becomes the second president, spoiler alert there again. So, in order to understand this particular wave of Kurdish revolts that happen in sort of the mid-late 20s, and there's another one that will happen in the late 30s, or sort of mid-late 30s, we need to understand something called the Hoibun. It's basically the first modern pan-Kurdish political party that wants and advocates for an independent Kurdistan. 
and players of Hearts of Iron 4 will recall that they are labelled as the fascist party in Kurdistan, if you have an independent Kurdistan. Now, I think that's a little unfair. I think the developers at Paradox take any pan-nationalist movement that's traditionally an oppressed people and put that into the fascist category. Not good, is it? It's not, it's not an ideal way to analyse these movements, I don't think. Uh, especially because, look, we talked about the Turkish nationalist movement and all of the people that were involved in that. It was a broad movement. And I think it's important to note that this was a broad movement. So the Hoiben is formed in Lebanon. So, again, it's a pan-Kurdish party. It doesn't have to be founded within any particular country. So it's founded in Lebanon. And there are a bunch of these small parties and groups that come together to form the Hoiben. Uh, one of them is a group that we've encountered before called the Azadi. Uh, you might recall them from the Sheikh Syed rebellion. And there are some prominent members of Kurdish society here, including Mehdi Syed, who is the brother of Sheikh Syed. So a lot of this is is connected. A lot of these revolts are connected. They're, con- they're continuations of the same movement, right? And the Hoiban also does, you know, agreements to cooperate with various other political parties. One, the most famous one is the Armenian Revolution Federation, or the Dashnaks as they're more commonly known, and they were a sort of a national liberation party that was explicitly socialist. Oh, nice. So, so you can see that there is, because these are broad nationalist movements that we're dealing with, there's a little bit of, you know, being able to do business with socialists going on. You know, yeah. popular frontism. I think Ben is fond of dropping that into the... Into yes, the it's true, yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of national liberation movements go the same way. Just very broad front. Yeah, and what, I, what necessarily... I'm getting from what I'm getting from this is that in Hearts of Iron Five, the Northern Independence Party are going to be flagged as fascist. <laughs> <laughs> is it, if they ever get more than like a hundred votes in a seat, then yeah, that will probably happen to them. So, <laughs> okay, I'm going to get cancelled for laughing at that. <laughs> I mean, look, look, they're a new party. I, I, there are people, right? I, I'm going to like deviate slightly into British politics. There are people who always go, oh, if you do badly, you have to wind up. And I'm like, yeah. the SNP fucking ate shit for 40 years before they got a seat. <laughs> and look at them now. Like, what, what do you think? Oh, well, if you do badly in electoral contests, oh, you have to quit. It's like, no, you don't. You literally yeah, do well, not have to quit. I mean, you, you should you, analyze electoralism clearly and decide it's a waste of your fucking time. But if you don't decide that, <laughs> you know, you, there's no rule that says if you do badly, you have to give up. Yeah, well, but the, the, the thing is, though, it's like fucking, it's like, oh, you should, if you, if you do badly in an election, you should immediately quit unless you're a centrist or a Tory. Yeah. Yeah. Like, anyway, it's, it's a thing. These, the, you know, I, I'm, I'm really venting about, like, a couple of people who I see do this kind of take where I'm like, yeah, but, like, it's a meme party. It's a party that was founded by memes. It's not. It's not. It's. It's not. It's not exactly got the the structure to to do big electoral challenges at the moment. And expecting that is unrealistic. Anyway, so speaking of unrealistic challenges and challengers, 
this party, so Hoibun, and I'm trying to pronounce it in the Kurdish way, but it contains the letter X, a letter that is entirely foreign to me in almost every linguistic context. So I'm relying on the fact that I understand the X in Kurdish to be like a ha, a ha. So Hoibun. Um, so it presents itself as, you know, we are doing progressive politics. And Progressive is one of those words where we kind of get uh, we get we get tripped up by it, and we sort of imagine what we want to imagine by it. I think yeah. the in this case, progressivism is really about wanting to live in a certain type of society, and that type of society often looks like how Europe is imagined by people in the Middle East and Anatolia and elsewhere, and that means mm. that actually the vision is actually kind of similar to the Kemalist vision, because one of the ideologies of the Hoibun is secularism and nationalism, right? Those uh, are two of them. Huh. And as we'll see in a little bit, if when we talk about the six arrows that Mustafa Kemal is sleeping in his big bed with, <laughs> that's, that's a third of Kemalism right there. You've done a third of Kemalism. That's it. You've done a third of it. And so that's what progressive means. And they also like, every single one of these movements likes to go, oh, we're a pragmatic organization, you know? And <laughs> the, the point of this movement is, so this movement's founded in 1927. So a little bit after the Sheikh Syed stuff has really like come to a close. Um, yeah, it's a little bit after because Sheikh Syed is uh, executed in 1925. So it's a little bit after. And one of their things was we need to basically understand what led to the rebellion in the Sheikh Syed case and why it didn't work. And one of the reasons why it didn't work was the Grand National Assembly got Isma Inonu back and he basically got the army to just do just brutal repression against Oof. the rebellion. Like we talk about it in the episode. It's, yeah, they did not take sedition lightly in the early Turkish Republic. No. And it's important to note that as now, the movement for Kurdish liberation is diverse and broad. And so there were people who were like, no, not independence, but autonomy. And so Hoibun is kind of this expression of the independence faction of Kurdish liberation, as opposed to the autonomy faction. And then the autonomy faction tended to have figures who were prominent in the Ottoman Empire. And obviously there were like varying degrees of Kurdish autonomy in the Ottoman Empire mostly because the Ottoman Empire could not project any state power because it essentially didn't exist. It was the greatest mirage in history. It basically didn't exist for the final 70 years of its, of its existence, and yet everyone had to treat it like it existed. Man, that doesn't seem familiar at all. Yeah, ev everyone <laughs> had to, like, humor it. They had to be like, oh, yes, the Ottoman Empire, yes, right. We must talk about that <laughs> later, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. It basically, mm. <laughs> yeah, it didn't really function as a state for a lot of different reasons. And yeah, you can see why people might effectively have autonomy in that situation. So we understand the Hoibun a little bit here. And so it's, it's you know, it's your broad nationalist, secular-leaning, independence liberation movement. Where have we heard this story before? <laughs> it's a story that keeps on coming up in this. Yeah, uh, yeah, kind of interesting the parallels there. Got to yeah, say. it's uh, it's always interesting to think about these parallels. What is the Hoibun most famous for? 
that's an interesting question. The thing it's most famous for is this breakaway republic called the Republic of Ararat, which emerges because there's a series of revolts, basically, in this region. So the region, it's the province is called Ararat, but it was called Karakasa at the time. And there are a series of uprisings, you know, riots, uprisings, just insane amounts of anger in Ara, what's called Ara in Turkish, which is Ararat. And I, I can get on board with their uprisings and insane amounts of anger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they, they get really, really mad about it, right? And they basically decide during one of these riots that something like a, a thousand horsemen basically go around and cause all of this trouble in this city. And they describe the groups of Kurdish people as tribes. I find that deeply discomforting. Especially because it's like, that word has a loaded meaning in English, and that's not quite what yeah. it is. You could think of it more as like clans, extended family groups and stuff like that, rather than like tribes, because tribe in your head... Mm, it suggests, yeah, it, suggests when, a, when British people a kind of primitivism. About, when British people talk about tribes, they're, they're generally being derogatory, aren't they? You know? Well, yeah, yeah. When you, you think about uh, what uh, Churchill had to say about uncivilized tribes around this same time, well... Yeah. The clans basically who rise up, there are certain groups of them, and they basically end up having a Turk a regiment of the Turkish military come in, and it's about a thousand horsemen, something like that. You know, some variance in the numbers. And obviously, like you you can't necessarily expect them to win. But the first regiment that's sent is uh, is actually beaten in the clash, the twenty eighth regiment, and it was it was so embarrassing that they were defeated that the entire regiment was disbanded and expunged from history. Basically, <laughs> you're not allowed to have the ninth division of the Turkish army cannot have a twenty eighth regiment. Like, <laughs> Amazing. Yes, so like, hotels can have a thirteenth floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you cannot have a fucking 28th regiment. I'm not sure that's true, but they did disband the regiment right afterwards because they were like, Jesus fuck, man, this is embarrassing. <laughs> the, uh, it's the military equivalent of locking your account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, basically, by pushing out the Turkish army, they've justified that they have control over this territory. And so they declare this breakaway republic. They declare the republic on the 20th of October 1927 is when they officially declare independence. So these first clashes happen in 1926. So these are the first clashes. And there's sort of a sense where they're like, uh, you, know, uh, you know, we'll come back for you. And they're not even really sure what to do with the victory, right? They're a bit like, <laughs> okay, we didn't expect to get this far. But now that we have dot, dot, dot... <laughs> and, and you know, and and these clashes end on the uh, on the seventeenth of June, nineteen twenty six. Then we have a second set of riots. Basically, what happens here is so this second set of riots happen in nineteen twenty seven. Well, I say riots, the uprising. It's realistically just an uprising, right? right? And these uprisings happen in in September of nineteen twenty seven. And basically, the military is like, okay, like. We need to we need to kind of deal with this, and I should say that these are not like necessarily just spontaneous uprisings. They there was a plan. The Hoban came at this with a plan, 
having learned from the Sheik Side Rebellion, and it seems like they generally got the plan right, at least so yeah, far. Yeah, they've done well so far. Yeah, yeah. managed to managed to sequence break and kind of speed run their whole of establishing <laughs> a republic bit. Yeah. So what happens here is that in the second sort of Ararat riots they get suppressed in this case. So they get suppressed a little bit. They end up withdrawing from the region. Now, because Kurdish people exist across many, many borders, they essentially end up going to like the Soviet Union or to Iran, which is uh, the two countries that border here. So they just basically go to Iran and avoid it out. Uh, but they've declared this republic well, in, um, in 1927. And they've sort of, decided that this town this rather small village actually is um is their capital but they've essentially been exiled from their capital but the turks the turkish state still doesn't think like we have complete control here now yeah this province was called karakasa i've always worried about how much my surname comes up in like early turkish nationalist place naming (laughs) i'm always like super concerned about that it seems to just be a thing in this region of turkey that like my surname is part of a lot of stuff. Oh, it's not like it's not like it's an old name. It's literally like my fucking great granddad picked it and decided to pick the name that means you can't grow a beard. <laughs> is this like the the greater hairless region of Turkey? It's... Yeah, lot, not many trees. I just, I just <laughs> love the irony of that. To be honest, yeah, yeah, every... definitely, yeah, definitely a man who can grow a beard. I've very been famously, established. yeah, very famously can grow a beard. So I'm trying to just get our timeline right here. I've got two sources that are conflicting about when things happen. I do not like it when that happens. Ah, welcome to welcome to all of recorded history, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. There are two sources who are disagreeing. Who's right? No one can say. What I would do if I was a historian is just split the difference. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's fine. Yeah, uh, if we ever get Doctor Elmo on, she be like, "Yeah, you just split the difference. That's fine. I'm sure that's I mean, completely." To be fair, that is like the, the BBC method, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. It's like. Well, on the one hand, oh, that lady on Question Time who's oh. talking about dinosaurs. Oh, oh my god! Oh my good god, man! By the way, I thought she killed the dinosaurs. The way she said that made me think she killed the dinosaurs. I was just threatening him with a big rock. <laughs> she was, she was the most British woman I think I've ever seen. Yeah, oh, yeah. right. Like, oh, but but that is that is a sort of person you get intimately familiar with if you work customer service jobs. Yeah. In this oh yeah. Good god. Just the face she was pulling as well. <laughs> yeah, the oh. face was the best bit. The face was absolutely the best bit. She just looked fucking affronted, man. <laughs> yeah, she's like... But I also loved the guy's response. He was like, well, they were around for 130 million years. Oh, like, that was such a good... Like, yeah. He must have just pulled that straight out of his arse, but it was yeah. perfect. And it well, was I also mean, he'd be essentially fucking... correct. He'd be yeah. a fucking sorcerer if he planned for that to happen. <laughs> yeah, there was. I saw a great account that was like, I'm increasingly convinced that British journalists are just plants for the RMT trying to make him look good. Because <laughs> they've, they've just shat the bed horribly. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful to see. But I mean, that fucking, oh yeah, do you know what I mean? Well, you need, we need to adapt to technology because the dinosaurs didn't adapt to technology. It's like... <laughs> yeah. The dinosaurs should have negotiated with the asteroid. They should have, yeah. The dinosaurs had just teched into missile defense. Do you know what I mean? They could have <laughs> shot that asteroid down. Should have fucking learned to code. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking dinos- this- dinosaur ballerina whose next job might be in cyber. 
God damn it. I was going to say that. God damn it. That was exactly... I had the like poster oh. image in my head as well. <laughs> so they flee into Iran, and there are operations along the Iranian border. Now, Turkey's very clear not to cross into the Iranian territory here, but there was an expectation between the two countries that Iran would, to quote the uh, the apparently diplomatic exchange, do what was necessary. Oh boy. Yeah. And I will remind people that the Iran we're dealing with here is the Pahlavi dynasty Iran. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. you know. Another, another, sh- another set of pragmatic modernizers. That's, yeah, that's, pragmatic secularist modernizers. Let's pretend for the sake of argument, I don't know what that is. Uh, so the Pahlavi could... dynasty are like were the Shah, they were the Shahs of Iran. They were like the ruling dynasty of Iran, and their whole thing under I think it was Reza was like we're gonna do uh, basically modernization for Iran, and and you know that went really well because they ended up with the two day party in power, and <laughs> yeah. uh, Mossadegh, uh, who ended up nationalizing the Anglo Iranian oil company, or as we know him BP. Yeah, mm. that that I mean that. That is just, when you say, "Oh, they nationalized an oil company." That's that's a very short-lived high that you get from here and that, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, but in fairness, like it was not, um, it was not to last because uh, the CIA did a coup, basically. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. Like you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. na- nationalized the oil company. Nationalized like the the fucking the fruit company. Yeah, like... they, but the thing about the fruit companies, they didn't even nationalize the fruit company. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they basically pretended that this what was basically a very centrist government that were incredibly liberal economically were communists because they did because what the American right okay fine I'll I'll do a little detour. <laughs> the United Fruit Company did this thing to avoid paying tax, which was they valued their land very cheaply so that they could avoid a land value tax that was instituted in this country by a liberal centre-right government, by the way, which is insane to think how that would be reacted to here yeah. if you proposed it. But we'll set that aside. So what the government did was call their bluff and offer to buy the uh, land for the price that they valuation <laughs> they gave, which was obviously much lower than the actual yeah. value of the land. The government called their bluff, and they were like, no, these guys are communists. They're trying to buy our land from us. <laughs> which... Communists infamous for buying land of multinationals, yeah. And anyway, that's where the term Banana Republic comes from. Because yeah. of United Fruit, that was the company that did it. There you go. Uh, don't, never say we don't like acknowledge the history of other countries on this podcast. Yeah. There never, is, in fact... <laughs> yeah. Never say we're not all here just to teach my like, dumbass thing <laughs> that everyone knows. I don't think everyone necessarily knows it. I'd be surprised if any Americans knew very much about that. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, I might, I might be a fucking dumbass, but I'm above the Americans. Come on. <laughs> anyway, shout out to our American listeners. Our number one state this month, Alabama. I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. I looked at the stats, and our number one state is Alabama. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Spreading some communists for in Alabama. Anyway, oh. shout, shout out to you guys. Seriously, you're the real heroes. <laughs> Genuinely. In Alabama. A lot of Alabama Turks. Of course, it's all Turkey, but we'll get to that in the bonus. So, <laughs> so there's another event called the Zilan Massacre. Now, you can imagine, because it's called the Zilan Massacre, that things did not exactly go well. So we have a, a newspaper headline here. I will share it with you in the Discord. Uh, from the 
from the, uh, I guess it's kind of like a centrist, it's kind of more like a, it takes the state line paper called Jumriyet, right? And the top there says Temizlik Bashladı, which means cleaning has begun or cleansing has begun, you might oh. read that as. Yeah, that's, oh. that sounds ominous. Uh, in Zeeland. And this is happening primarily in uh, what they called Karakasa, which is Ar- the Ararat province now, and Van, which is um, the province that borders Lake Van. It's not. It's quite self-explanatory. So, and they basically frame, they frame it in this article fucking horribly, right? They're like, the number of those destroyed is about 15,000. Like, um, our planes are bombarding the, um, there's sort of a derogatory term for Kurdish people, I think. Uh, very fiercely on the hills of Mount Ararat. Mount Ararat is constantly exploding, groaning in fire. The Iron Eagles of the Turks are, clear- are clearing the rebels. Oof. The, uh, Z- uh, Zilan Creek is full to the brim with corpses. So. Oh. And- yeah. Yeah, that's that's from the newspaper, by the way. That's not like an account from like a far right fascist who's like bragging about it in a street rally. That is from the newspaper Jumhuriyet. So really catching up with Europe in terms of euphemizing, <laughs> you know, horrible genocidal actions, isn't it? Yeah, and in fact we can we have some external sources that perhaps confirm these are genocidal actions. So we have the UK Foreign Office, and I know that we don't trust the UK intelligence services generally. Um, they say that the Turkish successes near Zilan was won against a few armed men, and the vast majority of them were non-armed civilians. In fact, it was a lot of it was uh, specifically unarmed women that they killed. Oh, fuck, man. Yeah, this is this is um, this is the history. You know, we have to confront all of the history when we talk about these things. It's not all, you know, radical modernizing projects. And in fact, to be fair, this is pretty compatible with radical modernizing projects. Yeah, to be fair, yeah, unfortunately, but the, the nature of modernization in a lot of the global south or countries that didn't—I guess the Turkey's kind of complicated in the global south, global north thing, as it always is. But a lot of modernization in the global south comes with terms and conditions attached that look a lot like this. Yeah. So mm. that's that's the project of modernity for you. Yeah. No, you make of it what you will. It's up to you to judge whether the modernizing project as it exists it is worth the cost here, but I don't think it is. I don't think you should, you can justify no. ever killing civilians like this. Actually, I do want to share something before we wrap up the story of the Ararat Republic, which is that there are two flags for it. I think the cops are coming by. Because they heard me talking about the Ararat Republic. Oh, no, it's an ambulance. Oh. But yeah, there are two flags for it. One of it is like the traditional Kurdistan flag. You know, it's um, green, white, red, tricolor, with the sun in the middle. All right. But there's this other one, which has the two Mount Ararats on it. Because oh. there's a big Ararat and a little Ararat. Um, and they're both fucking huge mountains, by the way. It's very funny to me. That a mountain that dwarfs basically every single mountain in the UK is called Little Ararat. But, <laughs> you know, guess compared to Big Brother, it is little. I mean, the UK has shit mountains. It's true. It does. It's true, to be fair. We have the third revolt. So there's a third wave of revolts. The decision is so basically, up until now, the Turkish army is not crossing into Iranian territory. Are you insane? Of course, we're not doing that, right? That's the general 
thing. They don't want to cross into Iranian territory. It violates basically all of the principles that you're supposed to, you know, uphold, which is don't do foreign interference in our country. We're not going to do it to other people's country. Import, they, an important lesson for the Americans there. Yeah. 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 Um, so. Where's America's Atatürk? Sorry. <laughs> he wears America's Atatürk. Well, they tried with Bernie Sanders and it didn't quite come off. So. <laughs> uh, or, uh, or if you want to be really grim about it, Huey Long. Oh, yeah. Like. If you want to, if you want to go there, um, what could have been? What could have been? An endlessly fascinating character, but not the topic of the podcast. Sadly, we should do a podcast just about Longism. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that genuinely could be a podcast series. I would listen to it. So this third campaign. So basically, Turkey gets permission from Iran because at the time, the Little Ararat Mountain is in Iran, not in Turkey. My partner's just smirking as I describe the name of the mountain, Little Ararat. Like, is it is is it like so strange that we name the mountains like this? Is is that I don't know? Turkish people are not creative, all right? You know, it's just not it's just not in our gift to do that sort of thing. Well, there's a big one and a little one. That's it. You know, but they get permission from Iran to pursue the rebels up the mountain because the rebels basically dug in on the mountain, and in this case. As described in the article, Turkish bombs are just constantly raining down, you know, troops are marching on them. And basically, they Turkish army deployed about 60,000 troops and 100 aircraft. Like, they wanted this dealt with. Good like God. They, they wanted this done. They were like, we've had enough, all right? End of this. You know, it was, you know, you can play at having a republic all you like, but we're done with this at this point. They end up winning that conflict, obviously, because they massively outnumber them. They have aircraft. They have everything, right? They have every advantage you could have. And they, um, they drive them out in 1930. They basically have to withdraw again. And the Hoiben are not, like, sitting around helplessly during all of this. So they have this initial success. They're not sitting around while they do this. They uh, try to get Kurds in other parts of the world who join in their rebellion. They're like, come, basically come to Ararat, the, rebe- the, um, the revolution's happening. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's, but in fairness, the revolution was happening. Like, that was what was happening. Like, they had beaten the 28th Division of the Turkish Army, and like, 28th Regiment, sorry, of the Turkish Army, and like, now we're like, okay, we're going to establish a republic real quick. All right. And they also tried to get the, um, the great powers to intervene you know, they tried to get France and Britain to intervene on their behalf. And um, and Turkish sources make a big thing about, like, they used offices in Britain of the of the Dashnaks, that Armenian party we mentioned earlier, to try and influence the British, which has which reads like some other thing is going on in a lot of these sources that, mm. you know, it reads like something else if you if you look at it a bit too long. So we're not going to linger on that. The long story short is that the British Empire and France basically go, uh, yeah, like, it's a lovely idea to have a Kurdish state, but also, like, the Turkish state exists and, you know, is real, and so we're going to do what they say, and they start putting restrictions on members of the Hoiban. Uh, this certainly certainly isn't going to become a habit going forward for Western powers vis-a-vis Kurdistan. No, certainly not. I, I, I think this is, they just did it one last time, you know? Yeah. One more uh-huh. hit of denying Kurdish people statehood, and then we'll we'll get round to it. I promise. 
there are ling- obviously there are like lingering rebellions and sort of fractured groups that are trying to cling on to it, but effective control is re-established over the Ararat region in September 1931. And so ends one of the most fascinating breakaway republics that have ever really been attempted by a country. I, I think this is a genuinely fascinating breakaway attempt. It's, it's fascinating for how unexpected its success was. I mean, it successfully broke away from Turkey for almost four years. And it, it humiliated an entire military formation out of existence as well, which is pretty good. Yeah, yeah completely owned them out of existence. Um, obviously, as, as, with, um, as with every time Turkey puts down one of these revolts, there are a lot of arrests and a lot of executions. By now, if you've been listening for a while, that's what you would expect at the end of this. A lot of execution went on. It was really sad. But, mm. yeah. Um, and also the Soviet Union and Iran were involved in suppressing the Hoibun. So Hoibun was the party that founded this. They essentially formed a, you know, a popular front government, much like the Kemalists did. It's just interesting to me how much this keeps happening. Yeah. It's like they're trying to take out their brand competitors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we discussed this when they did the, the report on the East after the Sheikh Said rebellion, where they're like, well, if you give this group government experience, you know, bureaucratic experience, they might build bureaucracies of their own and form a breakaway state, which, in fairness, they didn't, you know, by this point, they didn't have, like, a massive amount of, like, modern bureaucratic knowledge, but, like, they formed a breakaway state anyway, so it seems like that's less of a problem than you think. The problem was, it turns out, suppressing an entire culture. Yeah. It's a shocking, a shocking twist, I know. But there you go. And for those who are wondering where the Hoibun is now, it does not exist. It disbanded in 1946. Um, it simply, simply does not exist. But the Hoibun is an incredibly fascinating and incidentally important party in the history of Kurdish people's struggle for independence. And was the party behind the Ararat Republic, which I, I'm going to guess that a lot of you had not heard of that, because honestly, no. who would have heard of it, really? So it certainly shows what's possible, you know, with concerted action and all the rest of it. I mean, be- beating the military and establishing your own breakaway republic that lasts for four years certainly ain't nothing. You know, a yeah. lot of those four years were spent on the run, but yeah, they kept the flag flying, quite literally. So that's, that's the Ararat Republic. I think it's fascinating and interesting. I hope you did too, by the yeah. way. Was um, there a, um was there an old timey like Hollywood movie about that? About the Ararat Republic. About the mountains specifically? I, oh I, Mount Ararat. Uh well Mount Ararat's important in Christianity because it's like it's one of the sites proposed oh, sites. I mean for... I, no, I mean like specifically about the, the them being chased up the mountain by the Turkish. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I caught the end of a film at like at my in-laws once, and it was like there was some guy I can't remember who it was. It was some like famous actor from the the olden days, and he was up a mountain with a bunch of like uh, rebels, and they were shooting at an army that was down the the mountain from them. And I'm sure it, I'm I'm sure it was like some kind of like independence movement or something. And then at the end, a plane came and bombed them all. Oh, right. I was going to say, are you sure it wasn't Texas? But then a plane coming and bombing them all <laughs> put that well out of date. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, I, would, I would be really... I'd be happy to watch that film if, it ever, if we could ever find that film. And if it was about this, I'd love to watch it. 
but I don't, right. I don't know. Is sadly the answer. It could I'll be, to, could be a thing. I'll have to I'd look be very, that. I'd be very interested in in who made that film because I doubt it was a Turkish person or a Turkish. It might have been a Turkish director, but I doubt they did it in Turkey. Mm. I'll put it that way because a lot of this stuff, like the Zilan massacre and stuff like that, you can't really talk about it in Turkey, really. Yeah. Like I think um, um whatever it was, it would it would have been on like TNT or something on on satellite. So Yeah. Probably so, like... so yeah, there is censorship around this issue in Turkey, and we do have Turkish listeners. Uh, so so Turkish listeners might be familiar with the case of I think these two journalists who interviewed a ninety four year old eyewitness. He's ninety four years old. He was he's old, basically. He, they were they were tried for inciting racial hatred basically for just the Oof. reporting on a massacre that was at least partially motivated by racial hatred oh my god man! It, it, almost as if the act of pointing out how racist something is is worse than the racism itself to these people <laughs> again where, not, not a familiar thing that is, yeah again people kind of get some people like to get mad at me for like normal islanding stuff I'm pointing out that Normal Island is literally normal in the sense that, like, the stuff happens all the time everywhere. Anyway, Normal Peninsula shirt coming soon. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't think you can make turkey into a dinosaur. (laughs) Why would you flip it? Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Make turkey into a dinosaur and then it'll get, like, destroyed by that fucking question time woman. I mean, to be fair, I if almost you, choked up my drink. Fuck! <laughs> if you if you if you take an outline of turkey and flip it like that, it looks like a dinosaur that's been beheaded already. So, by the lady from Question Time. Yeah. I, what I need is so someone's already made an emote of her in my Discord, but I need that emote with laser eyes. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I need that emote with laser eyes. Can we have like the Question Time dinosaur woman versus the axe murderer? And like have like that a poster of it as a boxing match, maybe. Because <laughs> I think that would be the fight of the century, genuinely. Yeah. Axeman nice. versus dinosaur killer. <laughs> the final battle. We do have another major Kurdish rebellion to talk about, which is called um officially called the Dersim Rebellion. Some people call it the Dersim Genocide, and you might find out why they do that. So, Dersim, for people who don't know, is the, currently the Turkish province is called Tunceli, and it's kind of a weird province electorally, so just to give you all a summary, it's the one, like, majority Kurdish province that votes for the Republican People's Party, which will surprise you, given the events we're about to talk about, by the way. Huh. It's also the province that elected the first like national level communist mayor in Turkey. A lot going on there. Yeah, there's an awful lot going on. It's a very um it's a very, very strange place in a lot of ways. And it, it's it's yeah, it's an incredible place. So part of the reason why you have this name thing where it's two different names is that there was like a specific law to change the name of the province. Darsim was thought to be, uh, you know, maybe a bit too Kurdish, a little bit too oh. Kurdishy. Maybe mm. maybe we need to Turkify this name. You can't go having like a, a, a Kurdish majority area having a Kurdish name. That's just silly. Yeah, well, they'll get yeah. ideas. Yeah, I mean, I mean, on the one hand, it's obviously like a racist attempt to remove a culture 
on the other hand, if the Turkification laws didn't happen, we wouldn't have had Batman. Ah, this is true. Oh, well. So no one is to say, no, it's bad. I mean, I, <laughs> it, would have been, it would have been less fun to talk about a place called Eli, but like, you know, I think we could have done without the racism, generally. Yeah. So, yeah. so the Tunceli law, it's not just to rename the province, right? The law authorizes the Turkish military to build what they call observation posts, but let's be real, they were just sort of mm. a show of force to suppress the population. It, the locals just... Death, they don't want this shit, right? So they send a letter to the local governor. Now, some people say that the local governor arrests and executes the people who deliver the letter. Um, now, I, I can't find a definitive source. I can't find multiple sources that are from different perspectives confirming that. But that is at least the way the story is told. And the local people retaliate by attacking a police convoy. Because they're like, get the fuck out of here. Basically, it's Yankee, go home. Like, nice. Just, just fuck off, please. And I, people I, are like... I support that. Yeah, and people are pissed off, right? And so this whole thing is led by a gentleman called Sayyid Riza. Now, Sayyid Riza has a particular look about him. Uh, it's a familiar look. I'll drop it in the episode notes for you. It's a, it's a particular look. Oh, yes. Yeah, we've seen this kind of guy. This is a genre of guy. This is a genre of guy. And he is an Alevi, which is a type of Shia Muslim that's um, about 20% of Turkish people are Alevi. But most of them are Turks or you know, Turkish speaking. This gentleman is uh, Kurdish. Uh, sorry, Zaza Kurdish. So this guy, Sayyid Riza, he's like a religious figure and a political leader. And he he has this long, long history. and. Part of his long history is... So he fights on the side of the Ottoman Empire against the Russians, as a lot of Kurdish people did. But he was told by the Ottomans during the Armenian Genocide, um, hey, you need to hand over these Armenian people in the area where you're sort of roaming around. And he simply said, no. I d because Presumably because he was aware of what was happening. So he, he, he simply did not do it. And well, they, there you go. And he also he's also involved in a lot of these rebellions within rebellions against the Turkish state and he basically is a law unto himself he's effectively autonomously governing these areas the turkish the turkish state runs into similar problems we talked to we talked similar problems we talked about with the ottoman empire where it can't necessarily project state power very well into these areas yeah now obviously if you're sort of like a statist, centralizing political project, you can't fucking have that, right? You oh, no. need to be able to project power and control. And yeah, you need you need to invent WhatsApp. Yes, um, <laughs> but he um, he decides during Nevroz, which is or uh, which is Kurdish New Year. People who don't know that's Kurdish New Year. It's also Iranian New Year. It's a lovely, lovely festivity. And he, at these festivities, calls for a rebellion against the Turkish government. And so Turkey does not take this well, for want of a better description. And <laughs> they, they show up in force. Having learned their lesson from the Ararat incident, they just sent in 25,000 troops at once. They came Oof. in. You know, Ataturk's adopted daughter, 
was um, bombing Darasim in her plane. You know, she's like the first female combat pilot as well. That's one of those things Turkey's super proud of. Um, and super proud of its genocidal girl boss. That's, well, you say <laughs> that, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is quite literally girl boss feminism. Like, I don't, there is no other way to really interact and describe this, right? And they capture, basically, they get beaten and they get beaten badly. Like, by this point, you know, Ismet Inonu is very much in charge. He's, he's super in charge. And oh boy. He, he does not fuck around, basically. And, um, yeah, they, they beat them badly. And a lot of the leaders of this, including Sayyid uh, Riza, he ends up saying, look, we need to talk to the Turkish government here. We've lost, you know, it just it ain't happening. And uh, he was, basically, he came to sort of be like, can we, like, at least have amnesty or something? Because, as you recall, Turkey did offer amnesty to some rebels at some point, because there's a bit of a live and let live kind of thing. If you've held out for like five years, they're like, well, you know, what are you going to do? Well, unfortunately, they didn't hold out for five years. They arrested them and executed them. And also they arrested some of their children too and executed them. So oh. who, who were not like ringleaders of, but were like, you know, you know, regular fighters in in this in this rebellion. One of them was Sayed, uh, Sayed Rizar's sixteen-year-old son, for example. Fuck. Yeah. You know, after after they suppressed the rebellion, you know, Mustafa Kemal comes by and open does an opening ceremony to a bridge, and everything's normal. And there were still rebels in the uh, in the province. And at this point, the prime minister for the second operation is Jalal Bayer, oh. and similarly they overcome the rebels and you know there are aerial operations and all of these other stuff it's never a good never a good sign when you have to bomb people who are ostensibly your own people from the air yeah and and it happened more than once we're saying this like it didn't happen in america like america another lesson for the americans yeah look there are a lot of accusations uh that fly around about this a lot of them I find credible accusations. So one of them is um, Savia Gutchen, who is uh, Arthur's adopted daughter, uh, would drop bombs uh, on fleeing soldiers, on fleeing rebels, basically. There are certain rules of war that mean you don't um, necessarily do that. Um, because apparently some of these bombs were, were, were bombs that deployed poison gas. Oh, which fuck. You are not meant to do. Um, yeah, Churchill would be proud. Yeah. yeah, and uh, so there's an official report done. So 13,000 civilians are killed by the Turkish army and 11,000 people were basically deported, um, like, you know, internally deported. A lot of, apparently a lot of tribesmen were shot there after surrendering. Again, that would, that would be a war crime. Yeah. You're not really, you're not meant to do that. And a lot of, um, look, th this is going to be difficult to hear. Uh, so I'm just going to warn people now that you might want to skip ahead a few oh, seconds. Oh, boy. So there are instances, recorded instances, where women and children were locked into buildings, which were then set on fire. Oh, hmm. Real fucking Einsatz gripping shit right there. Yeah. yeah. And we'll see in the bonus episode where some of this may have come from, because let's be honest, there was a lot of scientific racism going on in Turkey. There are, so the estimates, total estimates for the numbers killed vary. 
the number that you see come up most often is 40,000 people that were Christ. killed. 3,000 people at least, I would say, were, um, were sort of forcibly deported. Um, although, of course, like another 8,000 were exiled. Um, and this depopulates the province. Because the population of this province, you've got to remember, Turkey does not have a lot of people going spare at the moment. Yeah, having yeah, come out. Yeah, it's come out of a war or a series of wars. Several wars, right? It doesn't have a lot of people spare. So those numbers might seem like, okay, but like, how does that depopulate a province? A lot of Turkey is remote, and Turkey at this point has a very low population. The description of this action is genocide to a lot of people because yeah. it was specifically a component on a component of the Turkification project. So and there are there are ways that they thought about this, right? So they the Turkish state early on justifies itself by saying we're disciplining the populace. We're we're teaching them how to be Turks because these people are bad at being Turks. So we're gonna come in and we're gonna teach them. We're gonna teach them a lesson. So it's essentially doing internal colonialism. Well, yeah, I mean, there's. Look, we'll get to it when we talk about like Turkish communist movements. Turkish communist movements regard, or most of them regard, Turkey itself as a colonial state, mm. which is an analysis that you find hard to sort of dispute when you look at the re- actual history of what happened. Yeah, I think they're onto something there. Yeah, yeah. and. and and yet, like, Turkish courts have sort of addressed this question of genocide and gone, oh, uh, no, it, it's not genocide because it wasn't specifically targeted to a particular ethnic group. And it's like, well, no, it was. It, it, yeah. really clear- it very, very clearly was, by the way. Like, the, the initial program that, like, caused this was part of the state's Turkification program, implying that people who are not Turks were targeted by it. And, and, you yeah. gotta, and you, people have kind of got to remember that, like, this was not publicly acknowledged. This event was not publicly acknowledged in Turkey until like 2010, 2009. Conversations about this like officially could not happen until 13 years ago. Which Jesus. tells you a lot about the nature of the state that we're dealing with. And that means that a lot of what we've had to stu- what people have had to study for this are like stories passed on because you can write about it right? You, you know, you couldn't necessarily write about it because what if someone found you writing about it? You're not allowed to talk about it, right? Now, yeah. the Turkish government did issue an apology. So under Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who was the prime minister at the time, he apologized on behalf of the state over the killing of 13,000 people during the rebellion. Now, that might be a conservative number, but the fact that Turkey acknowledged it at all and apologized is poor. That's a, that, it, it makes it noteworthy, but he very directly made the point that the Republican People's Party was in power at the time. Ah, so it's, it's a partisan thing, I see. And specifically used it to target the leader of the opposition at the time, Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu, who is still leader of the opposition for our sins, unfortunately. God, I hope he's not that for much longer because he's fucking useless. But the interesting thing about Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu is he's from Dersim. Oh. His family are from Dersim, I think. So he's, there's a fairly decent chance that his family might have been victims of this, and it's now being deployed as a political weapon against him. Oof. That's, ooh, that's nasty. Yeah. Yeah, so to give you an idea of how horrible um, politics can be, 
Um, yeah, in fact, his father was among thousands of exiled Alevis following the failed Darsim rebellion. Literally, one of the victims of this, right? Oh. So to give you an idea, if you think British politics can get nasty, this is nasty, right? And Erdogan describes it, uh, the massacre as one of the most tragic events of our near history. And, and in fairness, does acknowledge that this was something that was planned like this was a coordinated, systematic attempt to to depopulate this place, to deal with um, Kurdish people, you know, to deal with, in quotes. I mean, just don't deal with people. Turkey really needs to stop asking the ethnic group question, in my opinion. Yeah. Just yeah. don't do it. Don't do it. Stop doing it. If you think about doing it, don't. Right? But yeah, that, that does seem, like, pretty exceptional, given, like, the public discourse of Turkey, because, like... Uh, it's, isn't the position of the state still to deny, for instance, the Armenian genocide? Yes. The, the position is kind of... It, it's, it's a very bizarre position, because it's denial and sort of acknowledgement and justification. Oh, so we didn't do it, but they deserved it. Yeah, it's like, we, we, didn't, yeah, we didn't do it, but if it did happen, have you considered that they might have deserved it? And it's oh, like... God. And it's like, that sounds like you did it, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> if if yeah. you're... If anyone wants any advice about how to deny doing crimes, don't say if I did it. You know, don't <laughs> be that guy because it makes you look like you're guilty. God damn. So we've Gosh. got a yeah, we we've we've eaten up a lot of time talking about the Kurdish rebellion. So this might just be a Kurdish rebellions episode. Sorry we couldn't get to the 6 hours everyone. <laughs> it's a lot to lot to digest there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, great episode, bro. I hope <laughs> I, I hope that we all learn something, especially um, especially the Republic of Ararat. It's not something that's ever really spoken about very much in English language sources. I had to really like do a bit of a deep dive there and do a bit of translating, which is not my strength. I don't like, I can't like read written Turkish very well. It kind of hurts my brain. Although at least yeah. it's better than Ottoman Turkish. Yeah, I didn't know the first thing about that until today. Never even heard of it until now. There you go. The podcast has done its job. It's educated. <laughs> now I'm trying to think of how to ruin the educational vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, this does mean we will have at least one more episode before we have to try and figure out what to do next and what to address. I guess we... Um, but I guess next time, I promise everyone, next time we'll get on to Six Sarrows and we'll get we've on to... A, um, we've done a lot of flash forwards. It's like being on Lost. <laughs> Yeah, we've had to flash back and flash forward, and yeah, look, the, the thing is, there's so much to talk about. It turns out at the end we're all in hell. We're all dead and in hell. We're all, we're all dead and illegally distinct from hell. So, <laughs> so that one guy on Reddit can't say he figured it out in the first episode. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if people want to figure out where we are, look at the location of the podcast on Twitter. <laughs> Because I, I, I did not plan this, but it is literally hell. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought Jamie, I, I knew better than to think Jamie had read our own Twitter account. So I, I knew this was just a coincidence, but there you go. But next time we'll do Six Arrows, Attempts at Liberal Democracy. I guess we'll do those as well at some point. But this has been the Kurdish Rebellions episode. Hmm. We need a new title for it now. <clears throat> God, excuse yeah, me. we do need a new title for it. Uh, if any listeners have any ideas for a title, wait, that's not how this works. 
<laughs> just phone in, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. just tell make us, sure you... Tell us the, the episode title in a flashback, and then we'll put it on. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Everyone, thank you for listening to this. Uh, we will catch you in the bonus episode, which is about uh, Sun Language Theory and oh, the yes. Turkish History Thesis. Oh, boy. Yeah. What if everyone was Turkish? Well, go to our Patreon to find out. See ya. See ya. See ya, everyone.